0: Hey guys, welcome to The Debrief. We're doing this uh, a little bit later because it was so late. We were on Singapore time. Um, so it was Arthur's morning. Well, it was late at night for us. But here we are talking about the Arthur 0x conversation. David, throw some thoughts at me. What'd you think of that episode?
1: The, the thing that out, stuck out to me the most, and I said this in the podcast, I'll, I'll just reiterate it here. Uh, Arthur's 29, running a $500 million fund. Like, that's crazy. And also- for some reason in the crypto world feels somewhat normal. Like this is kind of just like what it is to be in crypto. And like, I just want to reemphasize you as the listener of this show can come into this world, look around, see what's available, see the information that's out there, start formulating some ideas, some informed thoughts, some informed theses. And if you start executing on these ideas and have success, that success can easily snowball. And in this industry, it doesn't take, that long for that snowball to snowball before you are like a big player in this world. Um, th- that's how like that's how Ryan and I came to be. That's how Anthony Sano came to be. That's how any any big personality or big person in this space, that's how they came to be in as a person in this space. And it doesn't take that long for you to rise to the top and like contribute something of value and be recognized for that. So that opportunity is available to you. And Arthur Zero X is a great example of somebody who took the opportunity by the horns and executed on
0: that. It's kind of cool. His story. I'd actually wanted to ask him more questions about his story, but like mm-hmm. maybe that's for a second podcast, like how he grew up, this sort of thing he right. said, he said he didn't come from wealth or didn't right. come from money. So it's kind of a story of like started from the bottom, right. you know, mm-hmm. and th- this is what DeFi can bring is. So if you are, excuse young, you don't have to be young, but like hungry, right? right. Passionate about this industry, willing to dig in. There's just so much opportunity here. And I think his story is a great reflection on that. Um, the other thing that stuck out to me was, I think I said this in the intro, but just this focus on fundamentals was super refreshing. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I think when we had that conversation, he made a case that I've heard Chris Berninski make. Um, he made it a slightly different way. He's like, it's kind of, I heard him asking the question, it's like, but also, what are fundamentals for mm-hmm. stocks, right? Because if you take a look at um, you know, metrics like price to earnings ratios and discounted cash flows that... Fundamentals for stocks are valued on. Chris Bernitzky's made this point. It's like it wasn't the case before. I don't know the mid twentieth um, century, say the nineteen fifties, nineteen sixties, that there was a consensus view on this is the way you value a stock. It's right. about you know uh, cash flows, net present value of future cash flows over time. And now we have this this valuation mechanism, and so. We're going to go forth and, and train all the analysts in our universities, train trade anyone who's looking at stocks, train um, all of the, the MBAs and you know the accountants and everybody on this valuation formula, right? It's like that in itself was kind of a, uh, I guess almost like a narrative development, right? right? And it's like we are just so early in even understanding what the fundament, what the fundamentals should be. Like who said, who said cash flow is the right fundamental? Right. Like I love that one capital Mm -hmm. asset, you know, cash flows, if it's in deep, but maybe that's not the most important uh, fundamental metric. When we figured out like web two, you know, the metrics were like daily active users for social media platforms, you know, revenue per user, these things, we had to reimagine metrics. I think in crypto, you have to reimagine what the fundamentals are uh, at another level. And this is part of the discovery process. So, at, at some level, I, I, you know, I love what he was saying about fundamentals, but it also reminded me to be open-minded right. about what fundamentals look like and not to retrofit right. an existing model that I have, say, for stocks mm-hmm. and like force it into this industry.
1: Yeah, so I, I, that's a, a great take and we should definitely dive into that more. So I think we shall. Um, in the the Luke Burgess podcast, the Mimetic Desire podcast, he talked about how like people want things because other people want them. And we also talk about this when we talk about how like the layer zero is people. Fundamentals are chosen because people chose them, not because that they are fundamentals. It's people right. choosing the things that are fundamentals is what makes them fundamental. So fundamentals, it's it's kind of like, that uh, it's Twitter. It's
0: consensus.
1: It's consensus. It's like that Twitter blue check mark is like, oh yeah, this is a fundamental. Yep. <laughs> Even though it's only so- social signaling that, that people agree that these things are fundamentals. Something that could be fundamentals are things like, uh, h- how about like the, uh, the distribution event for a specific token? Uh, the Bancor ICO is different than the Uniswap Airdrop are those fundamentals because that's a conversation of fairness and legitimacy are is fairness and legitimacy fundamentals cuz now we're really diving into like what is the in the psychosocial layer of people is is people's psychological perception of an asset a fundamental cuz like i can make the case that it is but it's not on chain. So like maybe, maybe we could define something as fundamentals as if it is on chain, because that is something that is not in the psychosocial layer of the world or and it's but it's actually formally form uh formally instantiated on the Ethereum blockchain. Maybe that's what fundamentals is. But I, I totally agree with you. Like we as an industry could start to generate more expansive fundamentals that you wouldn't find in the legacy financial world. And I think that would be good for us. Like he used um. Use growth in active addresses of specific DeFi apps, right? So yep. when unique active addresses start to use DeFi apps, you can start to see like, okay, this is adoption. That's that's fundamentals. Um, that's that is maybe closer to the on-chain fundamentals than than others, yeah. but. It,
0: but But also not really say see these things playing out like so the question is like um why is uniswap valued more than sushi swap even though uniswap doesn't deliver any value to its token holders per se from a fundamentals perspective but Mm -hmm. when you look at user retention and user growth right um like these are different fundamentals so definitely have to be measuring um i the the right fundamentals what what was your take on uh automated market makers so he believes we've had Hasib uh, on who talked about this as well. He believes very much in like a there will be many automated market makers, like a like a, a pluralism to this, like a poly you know, ism to this. And Arthur believes the same thing. Now we've had others on the podcast. Maybe I'd say someone like Dan Robinson, for instance, uh, who believe there will be almost like a power law winners. For automated market makers, these are very bullish on Uniswap.
1: And just what? a side quest: when people say power law winners, in my head, I hear winner take all. Because if there's yeah. one winner that it eats eighty percent, and then there's twenty winners it's that just eat like, remaining twenty percent distribution. Right. Yeah. You know,
0: like who uses Bing? Man, use right. Bing? Yeah. No. God. Um. But like 60, 70 percent use Google, and then there's right. the long tail of. Others. I think it's even more. I think it's more than. Yeah. that. Anyway. Anyways. Sorry, what do you think? Quest. Oh
1: yeah, I um that's a really good question. Um, do you have a take on this? I do think that uniswap will just be absolutely dominant. Concentrated liquidity is the future. Um, I think things like balancer will just find different niches, which are more specific requirements for liquidity than just raw liquidity. Raw liquidity will find itself on Uniswap. More customizable and nuanced and expressive liquidity. Will find itself on balancer, but then also after that, like Sushi Swaps, like uh, competitive advantage is is like um, penetration and kind of just like yeah, it has its own like token issuance platform, it's kind of just more creative a customer adoption plays or team adoption plays. Um, but ultimately, I think as growth happens, so like say Sushi Swap really helps bootstrap a project's token, and then that token finds its liquidity on Sushi Swap. Well, if that token becomes really really big, that project becomes really really big. It's liquidity is going to find itself onto Uniswap too. Uh, and you know, liquid, are you, so are you li-
0: taking both sides to the argument? Or are you taking the you still think you just, like there will be a power law winner? Here? I'm
1: I'm on power law winner. I'm on power law winner for sure. Yeah, the, the other thing go ahead. His, yeah.
0: his defense of that would be to say, David, but liquidity isn't loyal, right? We saw sushi swap and all they had to do was incent some liquidity sure. and bam, it just moved to um, it moved, some of it moved over to C. I'm, I'm skeptical
1: off, right? on, on multi year long incentives. I, I think the, the time of token distribution incentives is a unique privilege of the current place that we find crypto markets in. And I don't think, I think when, when we are, are boomers, our kids are just going to look up to us and be like, you guys got liquidity mining incentives. We're never going to be boomers. Like, you bought, you bought a house old. with an airdrop. Like
0: F we'll yourself. We'll just be old parents. millennials. Yeah. We won't be boomers, David. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I don't know how it's going to play out. I, I definitely see that it's so early. You can make bets on both, but something tells me, I don't know what it is. Maybe this is just some instinct, but that, it will be a power law winner too. Mm-hmm. I kind of agree with that. I kind of mm-hmm. agree, like it's just like just the way search engines were. There will be one that just destroys right. the, like the rest of them and mm-hmm. gets all of the liquidity. Just like, you know, Google has won sort of the liquidity of right. website knowledge, right? Um, mm-hmm. And then why use anything else? Because Google's going to give you the best result. If Uniswap right. gives you the best price. And I'm not saying it is going to be Uniswap. I just feel like Over the five to 10-year period of time, this Mm -hmm. is a power law thing. Could be totally wrong on that, though. It's not something I'm highly convicted on.
1: The the other thing that a little bit perplexed me is he was really bullish on Bancor. And uh, people that have been following me have known that I am not a Bancor bull. Just just because of the nature of the token, it's trying to make Bancor money inside of the Bancor ecosystem when ETH should be money. Have they
0: kind of stopped that, though? They no, still do I don't that as so. much? No, Ban-
1: Bancor, BNC is always like the other half of the trading the pair, Synthetics I'm pretty sure. Synthetix
0: did that though too.
1: Yes, yes. Um, the difference is, is that Bancor has Uniswap as competition and Uniswap is clearly winning versus Bancor. Uh, and U- Uniswap uses Ether as the other half of the trading pair, not U- Uni token, whereas Bancor does use the, the BNC token. It's a BNC, BNT, BNT. Um, And and so they're trying to like retrofit a product around a token to make the token valuable. Classic ICO, 2017 ICO of which Bancor is one. And so Bancor doesn't have this like valuation premium that Uniswap has. And I think Uniswap has that premium because, because of what it is, because of its legitimacy, because it's like branding in the ecosystem, because of the airdrop and the loyalty that it's gotten. Therefore, Bancor, the BNT token is really, really undervalued. As a function of how much volume goes through Bancor, and that's where Arthur said he's really bullish on Bancor because of all of the volume going through Bancor and the relative uh, uh, undervaluation of BNT the asset. But I see BNT the asset undervalued because it's of its flawed token mechanics and it's it's just a uh, loss as a 2017 ICO that raised a ton of money and is trying to retrofit a product a token into a product. That, and, and the whole thing is just like backwards to me. He might be more informed about Bancor than I am. So take that with a grain of salt. But like the rationale, he, he says Bancor is undervalued because it has a lot of fundamental cash flows going through Bancor. I say Bancor is appropriately valued because it's lost its fundamental premium due to the legitimacy loss and and just the the, the overall, just the the inferior product to Uniswap. And so I, I'm- You know I'm what not I find interesting
0: big. here is like, so I, I'm just looking on Token Terminal now. Um mm-hmm. Bancor, from a price-to-sales ratio perspective, is 21x mm-hmm. um, price-to-sales. Uniswap is lower than that. Oh, uh, what? 15. I don't oh, think weird. that was always the case. So oh, it's actually Bancor is being um, valued at a premium to Uniswap from a price-to-sales perspective. Um, but huh. look at this. SushiSwap, 5.3 oh. price-to-sales ratio. Oh. Oh. Right? So, like... Definitely Uniswap and even to right. some extent Bancor, but like definitely Uniswap has some sort of premium. brand premium. Yes, or you could argue the market's wrong about this, right? And you could say it shouldn't have that premium. It's all about the fundamental cash flow. Right. I think that'll
1: be a really interesting story into the future. Is like, and I, and I tried to ask Arthur this question: uh, Dexes and AMMs, Bancor, Sushi Swap, Uniswap Balancer. It's going to be interesting to see the market price these things differently according to like some basal like fundamentals, right? Like, you know, fees, fees generated for the protocol, price to earnings, price to sales, comparing those things across time and seeing which uh, AMM has a premium and which one has a discount according to their fundamentals. And then trying to ascribe some sort of like psychosocial level, um, explanation onto, you know, Uniswap has this premium because of X and Bancor has this discount because of X. And because we can have the controlled variables of on-chain fundamentals, we can start to ascribe like, well, here the market is because the fundamentals are the same or or off by this, there's a discrepancy in the fundamentals. We can ascribe that discrepancy to these more like social, psychosocial reasons. I think that's going to be an interesting story over the next like five years.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I guess ultimately fundamentals just become whatever consensus agrees that fundamentals are mm-hmm. <laughs> so they could mm-hmm. kind of be anything <laughs> i suppose
1: there's so much of a snake biting its own tail in
0: this industry it's, it's yeah crazy. i agree and just in life though um well let's talk about this uh speaking of snakes ETH killers yeah <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we asked him, what's your take on the ETH killers? Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he had some interesting takes. He, he said he he's probably more of um, an Ethereum uh, maximalist. I don't think he'd use that term, but like- I think a, I think he
1: would say way. EVM maximalist is kind of what he yeah, said. He's bullish on the maximalist.
0: EVM. Um, but that has kind of expanded him to like you know, Polychain, uh, or sorry, Polygon and Layer 2, and maybe Binance Smart Chain to some lesser extent. Uh, but then when I asked him the question, if you had to pick one non-ETH Layer 1, one what would it be and he said solana yeah right what are your thoughts on that so what are your thoughts on solana and i don't know if you've gone in depth about solana yet or if that's like something you plan to do in the future but i'm curious your thoughts right now
1: yeah i've heard this echoed a number of times there's a lot of people that are really really bullish ethereum who make room for solana uh, and one of my main strategies in in like understanding this industry is like when a lot of important people and really a lot of people that I consider experts say similar things, then all of a sudden I pay attention to that thing. So that's what I'm paying attention to. I'm not really interested intrinsically in Solana. Maybe that'll change. It kind of needs this, this DeFi ecosystem to get built out in order for me to be interested in it. But a lot of important people are saying positive things about Solana. And so from what I've been able to gather is Solana has made compromises to the decentralization trade-off. They're more centralized, but they've made educated or informed or pragmatic compromises. And that's why people are bullish on it. Um, and so that's really, really all I know about it. Other than the fact that I'm going to, uh, give Solana the benefit of the doubt and see what happens.
0: It's valued at, uh, close to $10 billion right now. Um, which is interesting. Um, Cardano, of course, is is valued at forty three billion dollars. Oh my god! So that's an interesting delta. <laughs> um, I guess for me, like kind of being a a kind of a, a monetary maximalist here at the root, yeah. the question I've always had about Solana or any other ETH killer is is kind of like, yeah, but right. our souls money, right. you know? And I understand that's a kind of an emergent phenomenon, but um, souls definitely haven't had the Sol is the immaculate. native asset for Solana. Yeah, for our listeners, exactly. Um, they haven't had the immaculate conception of right. Bitcoin mining of an I, mm-hmm. I uh, an immaculate I, ICO like the very first where like seventy percent of supply was sold for Bitcoin. Like all of these things, kind of factor in, and um, yeah, it's always felt to me like it's a bit more VC owned and banker crypto banker controlled. Right. Uh, like Sam freed, fried FDX, kind of right. controlled. Um, okay. I think where I probably want to, what I want to learn more about is, and by the way, it doesn't have like a slashing mechanism. Mm-hmm. Um, what I want to learn more about is like, how decentralized can it be in the future, right? Like, is it really possible for an individual validator to, to run their node? And what are kind of the trade-offs to that? Um, that's one thing I want to see. But also, the other thing I want to see is like, I don't know if it's enough to have faster transaction throughput right. than Ethereum right now. Not right. when you're competing against Ethereum plus it's layer two. Right. Yeah, the layer
1: two has changed everything.
0: So what is the 10x improvement, right? Like right. to me, there's Bitcoin and then there's Ethereum, which is like Bitcoin is a 10x improvement over gold at least. Uh, Ethereum is a 10x improvement over right. Bitcoin at least because mm-hmm. Programmable smart contracts. Right. Is Solana a 10x improvement over right. Ether? Or are they? Right. Is it trying to just be an Ether and getting valued right. like because of uh, Ethereum's good graces? Like, what if Ethereum falls? Then, oh, we need Solana, right? Um, yeah. So, anyway, I'm still thinking about it more.
1: Yeah, that's always why I've been hesitant to dive into like scaled L1s because, like, well, why would I pay attention to scaled L1s when? Like I'm seeing fifty announcements of people being deployed on Polygon and Arbitrum and Optimism every single week. Like where is where is the real development happening? Let me ask
0: you this: Would you rather like let's say Optimism or Arbitrum had a native token? Mm -hmm. Would you rather at the same valuation? Would you rather hold one of those or Solana? Yes. Yes. You already said yes.
1: (laughs) Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Even up to like a four X valuation versus Solana, just because hooking into Ethereum is so incredibly valuable. And you were talking about like our souls, money. Uh, losing the monetary premium is losing, is for, like forfeiting a ton of valuation. Yeah. And, and, and security. And, and security, right. At the end and, of the day, it's like, one and the same. When, when Justin Drake was doing his model for ETH price under an ultrasound money paradigm, uh, he modeled it out at like $20,000 per ether before a monetary premium. And the basic monetary premium that people generally have consensus around is a 4X, right? That's low. And and also, fun fact, Ether is the best model for money we've ever seen. Hashtag triple point <laughs> asset. Uh, and so, f- a Forex on, on already Ether's really awesome fundamentals. Just adding the monetary premium onto that is insane. Not adding, having, forfeiting the monetary premium forfeits a lot of market cap. And this also goes back to what we were talking about with like monetary premium is that fundamentals or is that not because like a uh, monetary premium, we take the fundamental price and we forex it. Like, that's what it is. Like, yeah, is that fundamentals or is that psychosocial? Like more, not really fundamentals, but more still it's, fundamentals. It's though?
0: epsilon, dude. It's epsilon. Yeah. Remember Ben Hunt? Mm-hmm, this like mm-hmm. this kind of like number that makes all right. the other numbers work. Right. right. It, mm-hmm. Kind of like, um, you know, tr- tr- trying to unite, uh, Theory in the macro gravitation, mm-hmm. gravitational theory, Einstein yep. plus like quantum mechanics. There's just this X factor <laughs> to figure out how to right like, mm-hmm. measure and 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 unite. So like, I think that's what it is, and right. they just call that monetary premium right now. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, what what about DeFi from Asia's perspective? I love the breakdown, by the way, of like English speaking DeFi, right. China and Chinese speaking, and you have Japan and Korea, and they're all kind of culturally a little bit different. Right. Um, that was really a really useful model for me to understand.
1: Yeah. See, seeing the different approaches from different parts of Asia approach crypto in their own respective like ways, just it just goes back to remind me how much this industry is basically people all the way down. Like this industry is on the backs of people. People are building the code. People are writing the code. People are using the code. And people choose to use the code in ways that resonate and align with how they view this industry. And I just, saw that, I just saw that come out in every single sector that, that he talked about. And I thought that was particularly interesting.
0: So if it's all people all the way down and you're trying to make a bet on these things, I, it feels at some level like you wanna, you want to make a bet on the most base level things that all cultures mm. share, mm-hmm. right? And I do think that betting on Ethereum, say, over Binance chain is a bet on autonomy, decentralization, self sovereignty sovereignty yeah where regardless of the culture cultural expressions of things Mm -hmm. um i do think that these are some basic values that we've seen across all civilizations all cultures all timelines like this desire for freedom and autonomy Mm -hmm. and so to the extent that humans are all the same which we are Mm -hmm. we just have different cultural expressions and that's a base layer need um I think that's like you you want to bet on on those base layer functions. Another thing you said was a base layer is just like speculation. Everyone loves to speculate. Yeah. It's a (laughs) fun time.
1: It's a fun time. (laughs) It's a fun (laughs) fun
0: fun, fun activity. Yeah.
1: Humans have always trended, and humans and human social systems have always trended towards property rights and self-sovereignty. Those are the two trends that we always are going through. Sometimes we go backwards, but it's always a like two-step forwards, one step back kind of thing. Uh, And so the trend is towards private keys and DeFi. Absolutely. That's a good Mm
0: -hmm. trend to bet on. Uh, Anything else we can glean from Arthur? What a cool story, huh? I got nothing. All right, man. That's, we're going to wrap up the debrief there. Thanks guys for tuning in and we'll catch you next time.